0: After, to come and you're live.
1: All right. Welcome to another week of living a rich life, the home edition. I am your host, Rich James. Here on Living a Rich Life talk show, we intend to inform, inspire, and remind each other the importance of living a rich life through the principles of our network. Those principles are good health, strong relationships, financial freedom, goals and achievement, extraordinary experiences and of course, philanthropy. Today's lineup includes a special guest that is extraordinary in every sense of the word and featured guests that are ready to take the music industry to a different level with an amazing sound. So with that being said, as I like to say, let's talk about it. Today, our special guest is a a leadership coach. She is also JHU education researcher she is an amazing advocate and philanthropist. Please welcome the lovely Miss Lanise Stevenson. Welcome. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. How and and how are you doing today? I am
2: doing well. Just balancing life, um, just like most people. Uh, okay. I am so used to flying around the country and you know serving others, but now you know the transition to home and being a full-time parent is a little right. different. Um, but absolutely. just balancing
1: everything, yeah. A- absolutely, absolutely. I think balance is a lot of things that everyone is trying to do. Um, yeah. So tell us first and foremost, uh, for those that are watching and tuning in, tell us where you're from.
2: I am from Baltimore. I try to say it like Baltimore. <laughs> right. um, but born and raised in Baltimore, matriculated through Baltimore City Public Schools. Um, went to local universities and um I stayed here to serve my community. So excellent. Yeah.
1: Excellent. excellent. So you know Baltimore sometimes has a a, a negative uh stigmatism to us. So tell us what it was like growing up um here in Baltimore for you. Ooh,
2: um my story is actually a little different than a lot of people. Um my mom and dad I was born to, to parents who were married and um, you know I was very fortunate initially, but um, when I was five, my mom and dad got divorced and my, my mom and dad had lost their parents by the time they graduated from high school. Um, but they lived two totally you know different lives. My dad grew up, um, when his parents died, he had an inheritance, so he was wealthy. My mom, the complete opposite, right? She, she came from um, a single mom who was mixed, so she appeared white mm. and um, she grew up on the same street where my dad's family owned businesses and so that kind of gets you to understand um who my parents were and so I grew up with these paradoxical ideals you know my dad is saying let's do this you can do this And, and my mom's like nope let's stay grounded and my mom was interestingly valedictorian of her class but because of her circumstances she was denied access to college because she just no one, you know, really helped to guide her. And so okay. um, when I think of those, you know, just situations with my parents, um, it just really starts to show the inequities that were even persistent back when they were younger. So, right.
1: yeah. So kind of almost, you know, a, a product, and I put my air quotes, product of, of your environment, so to speak, but but not yeah. so much to speak. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh in- interesting. And I, I didn't I didn't know that. So this is gonna be even uh, more You're interesting for me, I think. Yes, yes, <laughs> ab- absolutely. So uh so coming from Baltimore, um, mm-hmm. what were some of the major challenges that you did encounter and, and and how did you overcome those?
2: So, you know, it's a double-edged sword because coming from Baltimore, people expect you to be a certain way, right? Most of the time people knew me and knew enough about me as a individual and when they found out I was from Baltimore, they'd be like, You you sure you're from ba- you're not really from Baltimore. I'm like, no, 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 North and Smallwood. I'm from Baltimore, right? Right. And even some of my friends um who I went to who i matriculate you know, to high school with. Um I went to Weston they went to Polly, some of the guys be like, you're not from ba- you're not really from Baltimore. And I'm like, no, right, I right. mean I've seen some things. I think I had some adverse childhood experiences. Um, But, you know, my my parents did did what they were supposed to do to make sure that um, we could heal from those experiences. Um, But then, you know, so I went to Western High School and then I went to Morgan. Very good
1: school, to what I understand.
2: Oh, it's an excellent, only the best school.
1: And then Um, Morgan State, I heard, which I I am an alumni of Morgan State. Yes,
2: creating that degree there. And I went to Towson. And once I went from Morgan to Towson to McDaniel to Hopkins, as I matriculated through each of those institutions, the way in which um, they perceived me Mm
3: -hmm. and as
2: a result of their perception of me, the way they created environments that either supported me or truly acted as barriers for me is very telling and it is so connected to my why. Okay. Um, as a Hopkins researcher, um, I am studying how perceptions of um, belonging impact students and their achievement, mm. their motivation, their engagement, and I've even um, connected it to employee engagement, self efficacy And so, I want to just break that down real quick because it's very simple. It sounds more complex than it is. When you walk into, let's say, the bank, okay, when you walk in. Within milliseconds, you have already kind of scanned the environment and based on how people are looking at you or your perception of people looking at you, how you have experienced that environment before. So those negative stereotypes that you may have experienced, all of that is happening in milliseconds. And you now have perceived whether you are going to be respected, whether you're going to be accepted whether you're gonna be cared for and valued as an asset in that environment. And if you do not feel that you're going to be valued, accepted, respected, and cared for, you automatically, the, your prefrontal cortex is is where like your critical thinking, your adult kind of thinking comes mm-hmm. from. Your amygdala is your emotional center, right? When your amygdala is hijacked, this is what we call it, then your thinking stops. and. This applies to your life. So when you get upset and you start, you know, you're not thinking anymore, right? And so all of that is happening within milliseconds. And what I'm really studying is how, number one, that it actually happens every day for black and brown kids when they walk into a learning environment. But then secondly, I want to be able to strongly connect how it impacts how they're engaged in school how they're motivated, and then how they achieve academically. Because I don't believe that there's truly an achievement gap. I believe that there's a belonging gap because belonging precedes achievement.
1: That's 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 interesting, and I'm I'm I swear I'm, I am I've never even heard of it come from that perspective. And and I think that's uh, uh, something a learning material for myself, just to how I I think we we'll definitely have to continue in. I want to get engaged in a, a more thorough conversation. So I can definitely say more to come to that. Um, I think it makes sense though, you know, if you feel like you have a sense of belonging, you're more inclined to to to, to produce more or, or, or move better And certain. Ways. Is that probably a safe assumption?
2: Absolutely, and these are universal needs. So whether, you, you know, you have your social group, if you're not feeling like you belong in your social group, you're going to do everything. You're only motivated to get that sense of belonging. So you're willing to do anything. So we talk about kids who join gangs, why they do that, or engage in antisocial behaviors. It's all about they're not getting those basic needs met.
1: Yeah, okay. And it's it's ironic. I, I want to point this out before we get into the next question. My featured guest later on, they have a song entitled, You Belong Here. Really? How, how ironic is that? um if you have if you have not heard it um <laughs> i encourage you to, to to go to my link mm-hmm. click on the link and you'll see it right there um okay. sunny cow and then a- as well as watch but it's it's an amazing video it's recent and, and I, I definitely encourage you to look at that and it's the title you belong here that's 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 ironic wow um so so what did you originally want to to do you know Was this really what you're doing now in terms of uh, doing this research? (laughs) Is this something that you wanted to do, right? Right off the bat?
2: So um, yes and no, right? Um, Yes, because I was able to quickly see educational inequities that were not race-based, which is very interesting. Yes, Um, I was a gifted and talented student. My community best friend who lived right across the street was not labeled. And so even though we went into the same school, Every single day, our trajectories were completely different because of one decision that the school made to put me in advanced academics classes. And that they kept me there throughout my, um, you know, elementary, middle and high school Mm -hmm. years. And she had to go to, you know, your zone schools and this and that. We had the same aspirations. I wanted to become a genetic engineer to find a cure for my brother's disease. He um, succumbed to uh, cystic fibrosis. She wanted to go into the medical field as well. And so I really want to just have this conversation just for a moment because I think that sometimes when we talk about um, how some people are disproportionately impacted by things and how it's generational, right. I think that, um, or intergenerational, I don't think that people always get that. So because I was able to get to the best schools right. and get in my career at 21. And I was in my entry level position, so I was already making fifty thousand dollars back in nineteen ninety, 1990, like nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. She she started as a, a nurse, a nursing assistant. So I'm making fifty thousand. She's making like $14,000. See the difference? Right, we both right. have children. The next year, so my son, I already just bought a house. She's living with her mom, right? And so my my son had access that her son did not. And let's be explicit. He had a computer, he had over 100 books in his room. He was listening to Einstein, um, like music and all that little Einstein back then. He had the best care, the best health care. He has never been sick. Her son did not have those opportunities. Now, my son has been private schooled his entire life. He's on his way to Morehouse, you know. He has had corporate internships at Exelon, that has then gotten him to other places. I check in with her often. Her son's not the same. Does that make sense?
1: Right, right. So it's a matter of access and opportunity. Yes. Um. And 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 really, when it comes to certain individuals, you know, it, that that that's key, right? That yep. that's that's key. Okay. That's that's, and it's not surprising. It, it's definitely not surprising. It's unfortunate. Um, yeah. But really, I think at this day and age, there's the opportunity now even more so back then for yeah. folks if they need to seek that information, seek the knowledge, so that they can, um, you know, move, move forward. So that's that's a very interesting point. Uh, appreciate you sharing that. But
2: to um, go, did I want to do this initially? Yes. Uh yes and no. So I, of course, like I said, wanted to go into the medical field, but. Um, you know, things happened to me when I was in my senior year of college, mm-hmm. and it really changed the uh, how I perceived life. Period. Um, and it was a perfect, an imperfect, perfect moment. Uh-huh. Um, my son was born from a sexual assault, and so from that, I was able to completely take a step back, process, and you know, for a lot of people, like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. I mean, I've seen the full circle of it. And it was such a blessing in that experience. Should that have happened? Absolutely not. But it really helped me to understand some of the pain and hurt that people go through and need to be supported in their early years. And so um, it it made me really want to go and help youth early on Oh. Yeah.
1: So again, for those watching, we have Lanice Stevenson, and um, she is again a JHU education researcher, uh, leadership coach, um, advocate, and philanthropist. We do have uh, a question because they think um, see. So someone asked the question: Do you consider that to be privilege when you have um, you know? Guess the basic needs must be met, as we understand, but mm-hmm. immediately having that difference with your friend. Um, it, it created a, a wealth gap. I mean, initially she started 13 and you started 50. Do, do you consider that to be privilege?
2: Um, It's not privilege in the normal way of thinking of things. It's an inequity because an a school created, unintentionally created an inequity. They chose me. They did not choose her. And as a result, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy for both of us. They said, you're going to be smart. You're going to be successful. And they made sure that I was successful. Right. They didn't say that to her. And so it was, and I see it, I mean, I was an administrator and a teacher in school for almost 20 years before I um, left to work on the system. And so I saw it every single day. Teachers already had a perception of students and it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I would challenge my teachers to um, encounter their thoughts mm-hmm. and then question. Their thoughts, and okay. then consider how their thoughts impacted their oh, action, and then impacted students.
1: Okay, does that make that? Uh, I'm I'm telling you, this is this is some news to me. I mean, it's it's, it's amazing. I said it's the equity versus actually privilege. Yeah. Um, so you are the founder of a nonprofit uh, organization mm-hmm. called Gems, yep. which is which is catered to empower young women in philanthropy and um, entrepreneurship. So Mm -hmm. how does it feel to be a positive influence and what are your plans for the future with GEMS?
2: Oh man, I absolutely love GEMS. They always say that you either create programs that support people who are where you are Mm -hmm. or people who, where you were. And for me, GEMS was all about providing the same opportunities to young girls in their most vulnerable state. Um, the same opportunities that I had, because I told you, my dad, um, right. he was wealthy and he had a lot of businesses. So I grew up in business. And so a lot of the lessons that I learned along the way about how to treat money, what that really means, um, how to start businesses. My dad would take me down to State Department of Assessment and Taxation and mm-hmm. start have me start the business, write up the paperwork. And mm-hmm. I just, stood, you know, by him, by his side to learn business. I recognize that a lot of children have a lot of potential they have dreams that are unmet right, right. and so to be able to leverage um, knowledge my social network um, to support them and then to actually teach them how to build wealth themselves and so I taught them um, marketing design um, and what I focused on with them The philanthropic part and the community engagement part is all about sending positive messages into their community. So they develop T-shirts, bumper stickers, uh, like a, a social media campaign, sending all of these positive messages to girls like them. And so they would sell keychains with the messages like I'm looking at one right now. You are perfectly flawed. Be classy, be beautiful, be you always think positive, believe in yourself, believe in others, stay motivated. My favorite is you are worth more than your designer bag. You are valuable. And so um, seeing that they designed these um, and that they led, uh, this wound up um, expanding to them leading their peer groups, um, really being seen as leaders. Um, And so my first cohort of girls are now in college and a lot of them have picked me up to uh, you know, still be involved um, with the middle school girls, and so um, what I plan to do because I love leaving a legacy is to be able to leave that to them to continue.
1: So very, very nice. One one of the things that you mentioned earlier, um, right in the beginning. You said when you get involved, I guess whether an organization, and, and I'm going to tear it up because I tear up things
0: sometimes. That's okay.
1: But it's it's a a matter of what you've gone through, yeah, or or something that you're trying to avoid, or what you have experienced, right? And I, I think that's very, um, it, to me, it's very engaging because the whole premise of, you know, living a rich life, it did result of, you know, some of my bad habits. It resulted of, you know, taking better care of my body, again, those six principles. And I, I I knew that really, but for actually to put it to words when it comes to organizations and what they're really about, it's, it's, it's definitely amazing to me. So um, I, I thank you for, for sharing that and kind of opening my eyes,
0: right? Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, so can you share a defining moment that uh, one or several of your young ladies, um, you know, women you serve made you feel good? Or or on your purpose for creating gems, share give us a share some moment when you was just like that's wow. that those are my girls, <laughs> you know what I mean.
2: So you know, sometimes you have to deposit in the tank to reap the benefits later, right?
1: Absolutely, so, I um, like that. Sometimes you have to deposit in the tank to reap, to the, the, benefit.
2: your, yeah, reap okay. the benefits. Yeah, Later, and so I remember um, my girls. I started with them in sixth grade, and you know, in, in middle school, you, you're just so insecure with yourself. Every day you check checking the mirror to make sure that, are you know, am I pretty? Am I good enough? You, you're doing all these things, right? And so your mind is just so focused on those things that you can't even engage in self-reflection very well. So I kind of yeah. held a cognitive load for them, and we would have conversations. So I would bring up, you know, how are you feeling, this and that. And so years and years went by still, you know, um, kept in contact with all the girls. They would typically stay with me for the three years they were in middle school. And I wound up seeing a few of my girls over the summer of their junior year in high school. Okay. I didn't, first of all, you know, you kind of look a little weird in middle school. So when you get to high school, you know, you're blossoming, your face changes. So I didn't, you know how you see someone, you're like, I know who that is.
1: Right, right.
2: And so one of my my girls, Michaela, she said, Miss Stevenson, Miss Stevenson, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Let me tell you. She sat there. Um, I was actually trying to get some lunch. She she worked at the uh, at, you know at the location. And she just spoke to my heart. She said, Miss Stevenson, you have no idea what I was going through. Because from looking, you know, from the outside, her life looked perfect. Right. I mean, completely perfect. And she told me about the struggles of her wanting to kill herself and how gems really kept her going. The sisterhood that was created, which is the same sisterhood that I had at Western High School. So it's right. nothing new. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how she kept all the pictures and everything that we used, And then I had an affirmation book for them that they actually composed together. And then I had it, you know, sent to uh, print and how she continued to, um, I used to have them write and reflect on each other's um, affirmations Mm -hmm. and how it really kept her through high school. And for me, you know, I I do a lot. I, I do a lot of things just out of the kindness of my heart because I'm led to do those things. I don't really question when the spirit leads me to do something, but then to know. And then after that, I I got another message from another one of the girls. Um, And she was saying, you know, about the same thing. Um, It it really is like throwing a stone in the water and and just benefiting from the ripples. Uh. And then they talked about how many girls they helped when they got to the high school because they created a program that was very similar. And that's what I talk about, about legacy building. When you are doing something, from the bottom of your heart it is going to reverberate and you're going to impact people that you've never met before you know and so that's really you know what i'm about
1: okay. we appreciate you sharing it I, I i let me find out you're also a poet <laughs> <laughs> very very inspiring words again we are sitting here with lenise stevenson um talking about her gems program um and again she stays connected with these young ladies so just be sure to, to, to reach out. How can folks, um, you know, I'll assume the program is still going on. Let's take a step back and how can folks stay in contact with you? Normally I ask this going out, but I want to make sure folks that's watching, listening, um, have that information right now.
2: So you definitely can hit me up on uh, IG, Gems and Powers Girls. Um, I'm definitely on Facebook. Um, I don't post a lot on IG, but I'm going to add the cyclist as well. So Facebook is really my home to be able to engage um, people. Um, my email, I'll leave that, um, lanice.k.stevenson at gmail.com. But definitely, it's so much easier to hit me up very quickly on um, on social media channels. Um, so, yeah.
1: All social media channels. Okay. Yep. So so let's talk about today. You know, we, we, we was talking before we actually started and you said you had a, a, a long day. What's your favorite way to decompress after a, a long, productive day?
2: Oh, man. So uh, I kind of cheat throughout the day. Okay, uh, wait, day...
1: Cheat, cheat on what? <laughs> cheat Is on
2: society. That... Okay. okay. You know, a lot. Most people, they, they get up, they go to work. They kind of in the rat race. You know, um, I start every day with meditation. And if you have never had an opportunity to the audience, if you haven't had an opportunity to be a human being and not a human doing, you really have been missing out on life. And Mm. so I I think about it like this. I studied neuroscience when I was in um, college. And so I think about it this way. The same dopamine rush that you get from running, exercising, whatever, is the same dopamine rush that you get from getting real still. And I practice yoga and I cycle. So every single morning, I'm up around six o'clock and I go for a ride between 12 and 20 miles and I, you know, I engage other people in the rides. And so I kind of cheat on life because I begin and end my days exactly how I want to. And, um, you know, just those little things for me are things that I feel that I can control. And then I, you know, I have my, my, um, bi-weekly massage appointments. I have everything lined up And it's really all about self-care for me, because as a researcher, um, my life is a little unbalanced sometimes, because I don't know if I'm going to have to be up, you know, 36 hours working on a thought paper and having, you know, to meet deadlines. But balancing being an entrepreneur, um, having a career, being a a single mom, um, and definitely writing my dissertation uh, at Hopkins, of all places, is so challenging. Okay. um
0: I and that's guess- how
1: and that's so all that combined just again yeah. I heard a lot of physical things um in terms of how you, how you decompress so that's that's again one thing again as because you're definitely dropping gems i love <laughs> the fact of a, a human being versus a human doing mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I like that i like i like that message definitely some some great information definitely some uh great inspiration that some of our viewers are are, are they, they seem to be very in touch by your words so again that's that's what we're about here living a rich life is make sure we're inspiring others so, you know so that they can live a a, a rich life in every sense of, of the word in every sense of the word so you recently expressed your gratitude for access to healthy food during this kind of crucial mm-hmm. time yeah um uh, it is it is your belief as you stated and i quote yep this should not be a privilege but a standard human right yes um and again, different from the the, the um, inequity piece. Yeah. So w- what are you creating to end the privilege and help those who live in food deserts?
2: Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so I sit on the sustainability, well, first of all, shout out to Hopkins, because Hopkins has done your girl right. They gave me more scholarship money. I and mean, they have really like um, supported me along the way. And has, they've given me the red carpet um, treatment. And so when I first got to Hopkins, I was asked to be on quite a different, a few different leadership councils. And, that, you know, people think that's big stuff, and I guess it is. But I asked them, I said, you sure you want me? Because, I, you know, I'm not going to be the token. Mm. And so one of the leadership councils that I sit on is the Sustainability Leadership Council. And when I first was asked um, by Peter Winch, I said, Peter, I'm not about this, these games. You know, that's how I talk to them. <laughs> And um, I said, I'm all about environmental justice. If we're not talking about what we're doing for Baltimore, we're not talking. I'm not doing this because it's going to require extra work. And so he said, no, no, no. I need you there because I need you to say those things, right? Mm. And so it took me an entire year, which doesn't sound like a long time, but every single meeting I would attend, whichever subgroups I was in, I would still, anytime they called me, I would say, so what are we doing about the food deserts? You know, Hopkins owns Baltimore. How are we giving back to the city that we consider Intervention City? We're making all this money off of the research that we're doing in Baltimore, but what are we doing to give back? And so I guess they got tired of me talking about it. And so now we have um, created an initiative at Hopkins that um, combines all of the research that um, undergrads have to do, that grads have to do anyway, Um, They're going to act as consultants, not owners, of the initiatives in Baltimore to be able to leverage their funding, leverage their resources, leverage their knowledge in order to help practitioners. So I'm talking about nonprofit um, leaders Mm -hmm. who are already in the community doing Doing the damn thing that never get the support that they need. They're going to be partnering with them. And the good thing is that I'll be on the subcommittee evaluating our efforts. Okay. So in um, September, we are hosting um, a town hall and a couple of different events. Um, my priority there was to make sure that people like Farmer Nell, like the Farm Collective, like people who are out here, Juan Nance, that are the Food Project, I can just name them again and again, right, um, right. that we have them and use them as experts and then support them. So you don't just come and you get on a panel and you get all of that. No, 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 we're going to partner with you to support you but not put Hopkins name on it because I talked about that too. You know, we do that a lot, so.
1: So it's a um, call of action, so to speak, right? Absolutely. As well, right? We're not just gonna have a panel, have names, but we 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 actually wanna see, you gotta execute. Nope, yep.
2: I just don't you know I don't have time for that. I could be doing some other things. I won't have my name attached to anything that's not going to be
1: actionable. I know that's right. It, there's actionable. a song. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right, right. I know, I know a little something. Yeah. Someone someone chimed in and said, uh, oh, that's a gem. Human doing. <laughs> yes, yes. That yes. that it is. Again, we're here with special guest, Bernice Stevenson, and she's definitely dropping some gems here and living a rich life. So you, not, not not too long ago, so I got a question here that um, is, is, is kind of during this COVID-19. So okay. as a result of COVID-19, um, has the mission of your education company to increase the minority representation in the Ivy League pipeline, has, has that changed?
2: Woo! I am experiencing what we call cognitive dissonance right now um, mm. about that. Um, what I mean by cognitive dissonance is the uneasy, um, experience that you get when you are encountering new information and, you know, kind of putting up a mirror to your assumptions and your initial ideas. Okay. Um, I have, since I've been in Hopkins, encountered a lot of people, my colleagues, um, who even have an issue with me being at Hopkins, earning my terminal degree, because they felt like, um, they could, you know, my HBCUs could have used my research, could have used me um, to support um, their initiatives. So I am feeling so many kinds of ways about that because a lot of the students who've come through my programs have gotten to the Ivy League schools full rides and mm. it has changed their entire life. Right. And so, and their, their families' lives because they now have access they didn't have before. And, um, so, yes, I think and I am a supporter of every single young man who's deciding not to go to a D1 um, private white school or public white school and take all of their talent to HBCUs. Because I think that we, in fact, not I think, I know that um, nobody is supporting HBCUs the way they should be. And I'm talking about nobody is in um, the systems, right? How are, where do our tax dollars go and how do we get them back? We're not getting them back for our schools, um, and so I was always about ensuring that people had access to whatever they wanted, regardless, rich of you want if you wanted to go to Ivy League school, that was not my concern. It was that you could not not be denied access to right. that. Does that make sense?
1: That ma- that makes a lot of sense. That makes you know, a lot of
2: sense. And so, even with my son, he could. He's smart enough to go to Ivy League school. He was like, I'm going to an HBCU. I'm not going to Ivy League school. he does not even he's not even impressed by me at all. and um and I applaud him for that right. because I think that as we um, are exposed to different things, and as we for me, I've had positive experiences at private white institutions, right? Because no matter where I go, I'm going to kick in the door and do my thing right. But when I look at The bigger picture, I am rethinking um, my strategy because it works well. So now I'm thinking about ensuring that students have a pipeline to the best HBCUs um, that, you know, that we have to offer and that they are able to um, have full rides so that they don't, you know, have debt later on in life, right? So things like that um, are just as important now to me.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So let's let's lighten the load a little bit because we dropped, you know, you dropped quite a few gems. Let's let's have a little fun for a minute here. <laughs> what let, let's what album would best describe the soundtrack of your life when you were in college? Ooh. Yeah, oh yeah, not, not just anytime, but when you was in college. Best describe the soundtrack of your life. Well, I, I, I like that one. That is a
2: tough one. There were so many good ones. Who? so y'all have to understand that I was a pre-med major. So I was in the lab all day, every day. And probably Mary J. Blige was one of my favorites because at, at that time in the 90s, she was going through some stuff, right? Right, facts. I was working full-time, going to school full-time. I had left home. And I think that the album um, where she's like all ballads, what was it? I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> I'm not going to shed no tears. Because Mike right, was right. rough back then but uh, now it's like i'm living my life like it's golden that's where i am
1: now i I know that's right (laughs) i know that's right uh so so tell us do you have any you have any uh hidden talents that that we we should know about oh you are getting
2: into it i used to be a belly dancer
1: oh you used to be a belly dancer oh that's okay
2: professional
1: And and how was that? I mean, I, I do know that's a thing. I happen to know a yeah. belly dancer, or one, or yeah. two. <laughs>
2: it was so, it was fun. Um, for me, I was I won't say I was uptight. Um, but life was always so serious for me because I moved out of my parents' home when I was seventeen. I had a whole real life going on, and um, I always felt like I had to be. A certain way you know kind of straight and narrow right. belly dancing gave me the freedom that I needed in my expression right okay and so when I would go out on the stage it was probably like the first second I was nervous but you have a crowd. I remember we uh, performed at the AFRAM oh. I mean tens of thousands of people watching us and in that moment i realized the freeing experience that you had in the expression of dance or you know whatever, however you express yourself, and so I found that was like my outlet back in the day, and I did it for almost ten years. It was it was a minute. Wow. Yeah,
1: belly, belly, belly dancing. <laughs> you know, no, no, normally uh, when you say things like that, I'm I'm quick to say I'm need you to demonstrate, but we'll we'll let that slide this <laughs> Thank time. You. We'll, we'll we'll let that slide this time. Um, what was your most notable event you've been a part of or, or created? Um, in your career that you still think of fondly um, to this day. Oh
2: gosh, there's so many. Um, you know,
1: folks always say that, right? But this gotta—I'm—I'm I'm big on memories, Lenise. I'm big on memories. So yeah. when I, I, you know, sometimes you take a few steps back to think yeah. of, you know, um, I could tell you like you. my top ten. So just give me, give me, give me a, just a little surface. One, two, three—doesn't matter. All
2: right, first one. Believe it or not, I was a public speaker since I was in fifth grade.
1: I was invited
2: to a um, to be a keynote speaker um, at one of the uh, Templeton Elementary School. Um, and so I was fearless at that that time in my life. And I remember going to middle school and also being a public speaker. And I was like maybe four, eight. And they chose me to be student council president at LaMelle Middle School. And so those moments really, I reflect on those and it really shaped my confidence actually today. But um, the event that I was a part of last that was most notable for me and transformational um, and catalyzing some of the things that are happening in Baltimore um, is the school to prison pipeline event that Hopkins had last year. um, Where we convened, oh my gosh, uh, organizations from all across really the state, but it was the very first time when I felt that marginalized people came into an elite white institution um, who often looks at them from a deficit perspective, actually honored and elevated their voices, no matter how they um, spoke, because, you know, sometimes people judge you on the way you speak and all that kind of stuff, which I don't understand. Um, well, I understand it. I don't respect that. Right. Um, but to be able to see how so many new relationships and partnerships were forged in that moment during that convening, that all day convening, I think that was so powerful. And in fact, I think that was the last huge convening we had since um, before COVID. Um, the other event that I had. So I fly around the country. I am a consultant also for superintendents. And so um, Buffalo Schools was one of my clients last year, and um, I go in to do one thing, and the district always asks for something else. And so they wanted me to almost be like a spokesperson and one, and star in one of their videos. Okay. So I actually last year um, starred in—I was only starring in that uh, video—talking about education equity for that uh, particular school district, and so. Buffalo Schools is a lot like Baltimore City, well, Buffalo City is like Baltimore City. It is, I mean, extremely um, divided racially. And so to be able to speak truth to power and have an institution that is an arm of the state, that is inherently racist, elevate my platform and my voice, oh, man, it it, it was so rewarding, so.
1: Yeah. Very, very nice. You know, there's, there's never enough time. I, I, I could always say that when I have interesting guests like yourself, there's there's always never enough time. Um, a question I want to, I, I definitely want to ask, cause you mentioned travel. So you do a lot of traveling. I do. Um, you know, and professionally.
2: Yeah.
1: Personally, do you, tell me a favorite place of yours. To
2: oh, yes. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. I- I am looking to invest in a um, property in the rainforest. I love Puerto Rico, everything about it. Um, I'm, a, I'm a nature girl at heart. And so um, that is one of my favorite places to go. And it really is near and dear to my heart just because of the inequities that are there too. It's like the you know, United States stepchild. Gotcha. And with everything that has happened with the, the hurricanes and everything, and the um the lack of support with recovery um they just are are beautiful people i feel at home when i'm there
1: and do you so speak spanish
2: i do enough to get by but they think that i'm i'm puerto rican i don't know <laughs> why but they start speaking spanish to me i'm like no hablo espanol poquito poquito
1: <laughs> but right, right, right if they go slow enough i, I can understand it myself yeah so yeah. some of our viewers um HBCUs could have used you and and need you, so I'm I'm sure there's some way that we'll f- figure out to uh, to get. L-Lanese Let me the formula.
2: In. I'm gonna tell you the formula just so y'all know, because I think that HBCUs can still use me. Let me explain to you why I decided to go to Hopkins, and this is a real quick story. So the way in which you are you get your research published is through your journals, right? Mm-hmm. It is a very rigorous process, and the journals, unlike some parts of society still are very um elitist and so you have to come from certain institutions in order to speak truth to power and have it published right, right. and so a lot of my friends are getting their terminal degrees at you know Eastern Shore Morgan i'm like go do that because what we're going to do is once we graduate we're going to come together and we're going to publish together but i ride on the hopkins name so that i can um increase our platform, increase our voices, and really achieve equity for our children. So we had to like play chess a little bit, um, you know, with the journals and everything else to make sure that we did get our research published later on. So that was the, the premise behind that.
1: Yeah and that's and that, that I mean that is fact, right? I mean when yeah. it comes to access and how you how you move some names carry certain weights. Yeah. Um, and, and and some rightfully so and in others maybe not so much that's that's my thought um i always like to ask my guests um in closing what does living a rich life mean to them but before i do that um the question uh goes would you say that ivy league is about access right
2: it is i mean if you want me to be honest um if i was smart enough to be selected to go there then I already have earned what they're about to give me, mm. right? So I'm in one of the top um, programs in the world. They would not have chosen me if they didn't believe that it was highly probable that I would get through their rigorous program and then impact the world. Right. And so they only select people based on that probability because they're like, you know how your family is. Don't go out here and embarrass me. That's exactly how Hopkins is, right? Don't get it twisted. Yeah, yeah. And so it is about access and privilege. And I remember when I first got to residency, when you get to residency, you're official. Very first day, they said, you don't have to worry about anything else in life. You are Hopkins now. And I was like, well, what does that mean? We're going to make sure that you have the money that you need to invest in your business. You want to be an executive director in this huge, you know, what Fortune 100 company? We're going to get you there. And so it's absolutely about access. And so for me, I said, is this what white privilege feels like? Because, you know, I can, you know, we'll never get there, right? Right, right. But my job is to ensure, and this goes to living a rich life, to whom much is given, much is required. And as long as I can go in and kick in the door, where the door can't close on the people behind me i'm doing my job that's living a rich life for me if i'm able to access healthy food i'm kicking in a door to figure out how i can get it to my people right and teaching them how to advocate for those things to speak that language to access those uh institutions that they need to access to advocate and i am elevating their voices you know and so for me um it is all about access and I
1: take full advantage of it for my people. So. I, 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 I love that. So you kind of answered uh, two questions there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Again, we have Denise Stevenson. Um, I, I want to thank you for joining. It's been a, a phenomenal conversation. It's actually, it's, it's again, when I have guests like you, it's never enough time.
2: Yeah,
1: it's, it's, it's never enough time. So we'll have to figure out some way or another to, to, to bring you back, whether it's in a, a, a smaller segment. Um, we do have something that's going to be happening with living a rich life on the move. Okay. Um, and again, a lot of folks that like to travel like yourself, we kind of talk about a lot of different things. So I, I definitely look forward to having you, um, back on the show again, um, whether in the, in the same capacity here at be exposed the, the best, station there is forget That's what right. you get <laughs> what you've heard um we have some of the best staff and it, there's nothing like it um i, I do want to hit you with one more question before we go okay um and it's it's again during this time of 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 covid um so so how have you been holding up you know with the, the state and closing and reopening and what, what what are you going to do when things kind of uh do i dare say get back to normal
2: we'll never go back So I need everybody to hear that.
1: We have a new normal.
2: We're never going back to that. It's gone. You're in a whole new era, right? Um, For me, I focus on what I can do. I don't focus on what I can't do because our thoughts right now today control what our future will look like, right? And so I am extremely grateful for every moment that I have and I really focused on what I can do with what I have right now. So, um, you know, I love on my family differently. Um, right. Because when I was traveling from city to city, I would be rushing back on a Friday to make sure I got to, you know, my, my son's games. I would be like literally jumping off of a flight. Um, being able to be still and like see my son, he'll, he's 17. See him grow up for the last, you know, few years. Is what I absolutely needed.
1: Absolutely, I felt like I
2: needed all those other things. No, I needed this.
1: Needed the I world.
2: I'm grateful for that.
1: Yeah, needed the world. Needed the world to stop in yes. order to see everything. So, yes. uh, Lenice, again, I want to thank you. It's been a pri- a privilege to to thank sit you. down and talk with you, yes. um, and I definitely will be in touch because uh, I do want to pick the brain a little more. So, oh, absolutely,
2: anytime. Until
1: all right. then, That's again, thank you.
2: All, all right. right, take care.
1: Again, there you have it, um, our special guest, Lanise Stevenson. Phenomenal woman, a phenomenal individual, and going to see a lot of great things. So let's keep living a rich life going here on BeExposedRadio.com. Again, one of the best stations there is. Um, Our featured guests um, are are some good friends of mine, I I like to say. Uh, First and foremost, uh, she is a Baltimore-based singer, songwriter, and musician. And he is a Baltimore-based DJ and producer extraordinaire. Um, They recently completed a stunning and powerful video titled, You Belong Here. Um, Something again, our our special guest just mentioned. Um, Please welcome the talented and gifted Sonny Cow and Neil Paul.
0: Hello. Thank you. you. Hey Sonny,
1: hey Rich. Hello there, Thank, thank you both for joining. Again, it's, it's always a pleasure to, to talk to you both. Um, I, ironically enough, our special guest was talking about uh, belonging. Um, and I thought I said, it's just ironic how having you come on the show right after as our featured guest to kind of, again, talk about You Belong Here, um, an amazing song, first and foremost, and an even better video that kind of puts things together based on where we are with this whole situation in the world. So I thank you both for joining. That's a long welcome, but I appreciate you both taking your time for for being here. Uh, So so first and foremost, we know you're both um, from the the Baltimore area. I would like to know, and for those that's watching and listening, um, how did you come up with the conclusion that you both wanted to contribute to the music industry? And, And what age did you know that you wanted to do that at? So ladies first, Sonny, please. Tell us, how did you know you wanted to contribute to the music industry?
0: Um, So I think I knew at about five years old that I wanted to contribute to the music industry Um, because, as you know, I grew up in a music family. You know, my dad's a talented jazz pianist, and, you know, my mom was his manager the entire time, so um, I just kind of grew up in that world, Um, and really writing music came very easily for me at a very young age. Um, Like I said, just growing up in the household of a composer, it was, you know, it was normal to write songs, you know, at the drop of a hat. So um, I wrote my first tune when I was five years old, actually. And then my dad put it on one of his albums. He arranged it um, and, you know, changed it, you know, basically for a jazz quartet and then put it on one of his albums. So, so I've literally been writing music since I was five um, and, you know, Eventually, I, I realized I was more of an academic person, so I wanted to become a lawyer. But I still wanted to keep music in my life, um, and I just knew that I always had to have a place in the music industry as well.
1: Some some form of fashion, I, I can respect that. Neil, please, when when did you know that you wanted to contribute to the to music industry, and 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 what age was that? You're going to be five years old.
3: I was when I started playing piano, but I, I wouldn't say at that point. I knew that that's what I wanted my life to be. I would say at 12 when I started playing guitar. Like I had this dream of being a rock star, but it just seemed completely insurmountable. It just seemed like it was just a dream. Mm-hmm. It was when I was 19 years old and I like formed my first little like rock trio and I actually sang as a frontman for the first time with the guitar and we got this incredible crowd reaction. It was just going to be a one-time thing for fun. And we got this incredible crowd reaction, and I just gave it my all, as if it was like the only time I would ever do this in my life. And at that moment, I was like, you know what, this is possible, and this is what I want to do with my life. Um, but yeah, then like the real world crept in. But I would say, yeah, that was that key pivotal moment.
1: So is it? Let me let me ask you both this question here. So when it comes to Um, The reaction, the crowd reaction, do you, as an entertainer, uh, as a musician, uh, and putting all that stuff together, is that something that, you know, you feed off of, the the crowd reaction, Um, you get your fans, how you you did the video, just the the good energy, is that something that, as a musician, producer, songwriter, that you appreciate and feed off of? Sunny? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. Absolutely. I, I know at least like when, when I'm performing, the crowd reaction is really important because, you know, even if I think I'm I'm doing well or, you know, I'm enjoying myself, it's really the crowd reaction that makes me keep going. And I'm like, okay, good. You know, people actually want to hear this. Because uh, otherwise, I mean, I feel like music is kind of just a selfish act, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not going off of what the crowd wants or what they're asking for. So, um, so yeah, that's important. I don't know about the video, but... You know, we had some great reactions, you know, within the video too. And I think that's why the video's so awesome is because, you know, we just fed off the energy of all the people
3: there. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, Sonny. I think, yeah, in that video, having the crowd and simulating like a live concert, like allowed us to, you know, that's what we wanted to go for. And that really fed fed into the energy of the video and really the symbol, the symbolism and meaning of the video. And I would say from personal experience, especially as a DJ, when you're playing other people's music most of the time um, and you're navigating different genres, in the case of a lot of the places I do, I mean, that crowd is really giving you everything. It's really, without the crowd, I wouldn't, you know, sure, I could, like, do my own thing. And sometimes that's that's a good thing, like, especially in, like, a lounge or a restaurant where it's more of, like, a vibe that you're trying to set. But if you're trying to set off, a get a crowd really dancing and flowing and jumping up and down um you need to feed off that energy because no two shows are the same no two crowds are the same
1: right absolutely I, I think um when it comes to that that whole entertainment thing one of the things that i do i do feed off the energy of others to try to inspire and things of that nature um because there are some days when i'll be like uh, just you know I'm, I'm doing this yes things are going well but at the end of the day sometimes i just I don't want to do it, right? You don't want to sing a song, but the fact that you're, you're sharing that gift, and we thank you for for sharing your gifts with us um, here on the network as well as in the in the area. So let's talk about you belong here. I want to I want to talk about this in depth. So how did you prepare mentally and emotionally for sending the message of unity and community within the music industry, especially in a time where we've seen we're so desperate for it i mean i have to say i listened to the video i listened to the song i watched the video probably more than i've done since it came out because it came out when it went again when did it actually come out
3: it came in- out yeah it came out like the weekend before the pandemic yeah it was like <laughs> in a way the worst possible timing for us Um, but we did get that party in so at least i think we're happy that we did that but yeah, it came out like in in mid March, right before the the shutdowns.
1: Yeah. So and so, how did that mentally? You know, what was your, what was your thoughts and just in, in in preparing, right? Because you didn't know this pandemic was coming, like 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 the government did. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, how how I mean that the message you belong here first and foremost. The title. How did you come up with the title? And then tell me. Uh, tell us the viewers that's watching and listening, um, you know, kind of what your thought was behind that um, and either either one of y'all could take the lead on that.
3: Sure. I'll, I'll kick this off. I think um, I remember vividly, actually, Sonny and I were, were at Creative Labs, the same place we'd filmed the video. I had a studio there. We were kind of, um, you know, had some basic chords and we we're just talking about our experiences at the moment. And at that moment. Um, I know I was talking about my relationship with Baltimore and growing up here, but kind of wanting in a way um, to possibly leave, to possibly um, go somewhere else, go somewhere like we're flashier lights, like in LA or New York or Europe, but kind of still feeling this like obligation and duty and love and fulfillment from contributing to the Baltimore music scene. And I think through that, we had just talked about our experiences of a feeling of just belonging and and groups and cliques and um just kind of the way you know, all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of um, that happens.
1: A lot of that yeah,
3: happens here. Yeah, and just like kind of the, the separation that occurs um between groups and people in society. Um so we kind of got into that and just kind of wanted to create this sense, yeah, this sense of belonging that we wanted, we wanted both, I think, to build a community. Um, re, shortly after that session, we had um, and Heidi, who um, represents both of us in, in ways, Heidi Klotzman from Hide and Seek Entertainment. She had put on a, um, some music industry networking events and, and yeah, that like felt right, right? We felt like we wanted to help that because the more that we can come together as artists, the more we can learn from each other. And I think that really fed into the the ethos of the the song. Right, Sunny, you want to add anything to,
1: to that perspective?
0: Or? Sure. Yeah, I think also by talking to each other, we realize that there's this idea in Baltimore that the community doesn't really support its own artists. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about how um, really popular DJs or musicians come from out of town, and you know they're able to you know book these really big shows at like Rams Head or like Pier Six or whatever. And people are, are all excited because they're not Baltimore artists. They're like, oh yeah, they're so great. They're from out of town. But we have so much talent in Baltimore and people just don't really support their musicians here. Or that's at least how we felt. And we knew a lot of people that felt the same way. So really, I think we were just thinking about artists' belonging. Um, and then as we wrote the song, we realized, wait a minute, this applies to probably everybody. Probably everybody has felt like they didn't belong, um, you know, at one point or another. Okay. Um, and then we went from
1: there. Yeah, well, definitely the title fits. And just so that you know, Be Exposed Radio, we we feel that you belong here right where you are. <laughs> so just, <laughs> just just to be clear, and we will expose you and for all the talents that you have, you um, and again, we're working on some things um, to just to, so that you know. But again, that's that's definitely a, a good message. You, you belong here. I do know that um, my executive producer, Mani, here at B Exposed Radio, we were we wanted to queue up the actual video. Um, but I know we was having some technical challenges. But again, uh, for those, again, watching, we have Neil Paul, Sonny Cal. Um, they have their song called You Belong Here. You can go to my IG, click on the link, um, and that will be there for for Lord knows how long because, again, I, I've looked at it today and it's got quite a few, quite a few clicks um, since I put it up there yesterday, which is uh, it's always good for me, it's always good for you. Um, 247 to be exact, 247, so um, we thank you for sharing
3: that. Um, Hey Rich, real quick, we had just uh, we had just surpassed a thousand views, which you know isn't a ton, but I, I think it's a it's a significant milestone for us. So well, I think yeah, you absolutely. might have absolutely you might have helped that on the YouTube channel. So um, yeah, thanks a- for that. A-
1: absolutely, absolutely. Again, if you haven't seen again those watching, please be sure to check out the video. Um, my special guest, she's gonna make sure she checks it out as, as well. So I, I want you to tell us the time. Um, where you had to use your your singing voice, Sonny, and your, your music, Neil, in a unique situation. <laughs> I don't know exactly. where you're looking at, right? So Sonny, tell us a time when you had to use your singing voice.
0: Okay, um, well, and, so I guess it's unique. Um, it's it's in, a, like, in an unexpected situation, I would say. Um, so when I finished, when I first graduated from law school, um, I actually worked for a judge in Delaware for a year. And so he was a very eclectic judge. He actually wrote musicals every year, and um, you know there was a rumor that he only hired, um, you know, clerks that had some sort of musical ability. So lo and behold, he asked me to sing in his musical. Mm-hmm. And basically, I mean, the musical was for a good cause. It, you know, the entire Delaware Bar Association. It was like all attorneys that were like acting and performing, and we were raising money for legal services in Delaware. So, um, so yeah, that was probably the most like unique and like unexpected place that I used my singing voice. Cause I thought, well, you know, there's a big disconnect between the law and what I do, like, you know, music stuff. And that was the first time that it really came together. Like my two worlds collided nice. in that moment.
1: <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, the singing lawyer. Um, right. Okay. Neil from uh, a unique situation where your music had to,
3: had to come into play. Um, the the first thing I thought of I was in a I was in New York City hanging out with my cousin. I have a lot of extended family in and around the New York area. And we ended up at this like apartment and it was like a bunch of fancy people there, and there was this grand piano there. And my cousin was like, Hey Neil, why don't you just like get on there? And I was like scared out of my mind. And I was like, Okay. And then I just started like I put on my phone, put up some songs and just started playing. And I started singing, too. And um, I hadn't sang in a while. Um, I wouldn't call singing my number one talent at all. Um, although, you know, it is something I want to cultivate over time in my productions. Um, and this lady came up to me and was like, what do you do for a living? And at the time, I had like a, a corporate kind of day job. And she's like, you know, you need to be doing music. And um, it was a very inspirational moment because it kind of validated that I was on to something, even though I didn't feel that good about myself. And I think when I started DJing, it was the same thing. I like kind of have that imposter syndrome. Right. I think we've all experienced it when we're starting something new that we don't belong. Um, but, yeah, that, that was a really cool experience where I felt validated. Um, and we all need that from time to time.
1: Right. Absolutely. I, I agree. So let's talk about some of the other things, because, you know, my team, we, they, my, my, my executive director, she puts together some pretty good thoughts, some pretty good questions. I do know, um, let's talk about some of the other songs as well. Sonny, I know you have a couple other songs, some of the other folks that you work with. And I think, uh, Neil, you as well, you have your production company, Saturn. Is it Saturn Productions, Saturn Music? Tell us a little bit about that because I do know that was part of the the "You Belong Here" uh, video. So tell us a little bit about that production.
3: Yes. So Saturn was was an artist brand that I launched, and and this was the the kind of debut track. And I have I have lots of songs in the pipeline, Um, but since then I um, and since the pandemic, um, just kind of like changed my philosophy and perspective. And I have a new partner that I'm working with now. Um, And we've been working with these artists virtually through a website called Sound Better um, and working with artists in LA, in Chicago, um, Nashville. So we are going to be launching a new artist brand. Um, So Saturn may stick around, but we're really excited. I almost have an album's worth of material now that I've been working on during the pandemic. So we're just trying to figure out how and in which way to launch because it's kind of a weird and difficult time to be even on one hand people are you know on the internet a lot more on the other hand there's no shows there's um so we're just kind of trying to navigate this this world of the music industry um to figure out when the right time is but I'm really excited for these tracks I know Sunny and I have talked too about what our next collab might be i.e. a um you know, an EDM cover or a cover of a, of a popular song and kind of turning it into something different. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I okay. can't wait to share that with you once we get a little further along. Gotcha. And, and Sonny, I do know you, um, you know, being you both were a
1: previous guest on, on my show, uh, however, not at the same time. So that this is a treat for me. Um, Sonny, I know you have some other singles out there as well um center of attention which is uh, kind of a, a nice little one as well share us with some of the stuff that you also put together or that's out there would you please
0: yeah so um so i had my first ep back in 2015 and that was just me it's kind of a, an uncut sort of ep where it's just me singing with my guitar um and it's all original music that I wrote um and it's called it's called In-tier. Um, so that yeah, people still play it on the radio, and even though it was back in 2015. Um, and then what I'm doing right now is working with Mighty Mark. Um, he's you know a popular DJ in Baltimore City, and he does more like Baltimore club and and hip hop kind of stuff and R and B. So I'm actually I'm on vacation right now, but as soon as I get back, um, our plan is to basically knock out some tracks remotely. Um, And then Mighty Mark will be producing them over the next couple months. Um, And so I'm going to revamp a few of my songs from the first from the EP and kind of, you know, add add some more flavor to them, Um, really revamp, you know, the most popular songs from that album. And then, you know, I have maybe like five or six new songs that I'm going to put on there. So it'll be my first full album of about 10 songs um, that should be available by the fall.
1: Excellent. Excellent. So, again, those watching, listening, tuning in now live, as well as what, uh, when we send this link out, uh, we have Neil Paul, Sonny Cow. We're, we're talking all things music and entertainment, having some excellent discussion. Um, now we're going to have a little fun. We're going to have a little fun right now because, you know, I'm all about having a little fun. Um, so you both play the guitar. This I know for a fact, as well as my people found out. So they did a little research. So who's better at playing the guitar? Um between the both of you. And how long did it take you to learn to play?
0: <laughs> I don't I don't pretend to be a guitarist. I literally just picked it up to play a few chords while I sing. Cause you know, I was sick of relying on, you know, like accompanists. So okay. I, was, oh, I, I can do this. I play a string instrument already, you know, the viola. So it was easy to pick up. And yeah, I think I'm competent as a guitarist, but I wouldn't consider myself a guitarist. If you know okay. what
1: so, so how, how long did it, how long did it take you, um, Sunny, to, to learn how to, to learn how to play? You know, a little something, even uh, the, the viola, the viola. Uh,
0: well, viola, I mean, I started I, taking lessons back when I was, what, in eighth grade? I was probably like 12 or something like that. Um, so I've been playing viola for a long time. Um, and I was classically trained on that. So I can say, you know, I'm a real violist. Like I can, you know, I can play in any yeah, I can play in an orchestra, but I can also do some cool jazz licks and hip hop stuff. But um, guitar, I picked up probably in a, just a few months when I was in college. I was just playing around and said, oh, okay, this is useful.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, li- I like how you said
3: that. Neil, yeah. how, how long have you been playing the guitar? Um, gosh, like 24 years now. I picked it up when I was 12 and just kind of like learned from people um didn't really formally learn it but i had been classically trained in piano so it, it was it was a fairly easy transition in some ways um but yeah i was really into blues rock and the thing about blues rock you learn like this one scale and you learn some chords and it's really all about like the soul and the flavor um of it so you know that was kind of the direction i went with the guitar playing was doing a lot of blues rock
1: Okay. Um uh, question from someone if you could attend a a major music event or festival to introduce you belong here to the world, which one would it be and why? So again, if you could attend a major music event or festival to introduce you belong here to the world, which one would it be and why? That's that's a that's a
3: Damn, good. I need to take that one, Sonny.
0: Yeah, I mean,
3: that's a I good think question.
0: I don't think what? Like, far fetched, but I just think of like being at Coachella <laughs> and just like, you know, obviously we'd be like really popular or whatever. And, um, you know, just introducing the song because I just feel like it's a song that has a lot of energy. And it's also a song that I could see people like crying to. You know, those EDM songs where people are like, oh my gosh, like, I can relate to this it's so awesome. much. And like, the song's finally playing, and people are like crying in the stands and like lifting each other up and, you know, mm-hmm. mosh pitting and all that
1: stuff.
3: So I could see it at Coachella. Okay. Ryan? Uh, Neil? Neil. <laughs> um, I w- Coachella's a great choice. Um, I would say Tomorrowland in Belgium is like the quintessential global EDM festival and kind of what it's about in creating this world, this future world, and EDM festivals are really all about like love and togetherness. Um, so I think that would be like the perfect festival other than Coachella. I, I agree with that one too.
1: Yeah, because the video, its um, the video was definitely, and I, I did get the word, by the way, we were able to play it. So those watching on be Exposed Radio, um, they will actually see the video there during, during this interview. So that's that's good. I'm not surprised because again, Monty is, again, when it comes to producers, there's no one like him. I'll ask something at the last minute and he will produce. So I know you're listening, money I'm spoiled, just so you know. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, in terms of, I want you to walk us through a day in both of your lives. So during this quarantine and, and what you have learned about yourself during this time, anything special you learned during this quarantine time?
3: Um, <laughs> it's been really difficult. I mean, it's been difficult for everyone, um, but for me, I mean, I really went inward and just kind of like went through a very difficult phase at first, although I kind of eventually once I started like going and taking care of my health a little bit more, going outside, even though it's super hot now, um, going, working out now um, and then working on music. And I joined this producer group that kind of has these deadlines that hold us accountable. So I would say between trying to, you know, work out and, and I've been reading a lot more, getting a little more spiritual. Um, I would say that kind of defines my my quarantine. How's your quarantine behavior, Sunny?
0: Yeah, I mean similar to Neil, I also went inward and there was probably actually because we've been in quarantine really for what almost five months now. I'd say for about a month or two, everything <coughs> shut down. I went inward and I was also like I had thoughts of like not even doing music anymore. I was just mm. like, I was like, well, what's like, what's the point? Like there, there's something so much bigger than all of us happening right now. Like nobody's gonna care to listen to this music. So like, I wasn't even motivated to write anything or practice or anything. Um, so it was after a couple months where, you know, I also started just focusing on my like mental health more. I started doing yoga, I started reading. Um, and then, you know, I hit up Mighty Mark and I was like, Hey, like, let's do an album. Like, let's, I was like, no, this is like a good opportunity. Let me be productive. I have things to say, let me get it out there. But yeah, I mean, it took me a couple months to like get myself together in, in order to do that.
1: That, that is an interesting, um, because you know, you hear about artists, um, and I can name quite a few who are doing or have done some amazing things. Um, when it comes to songwriting that they write during that a period in life, they've done some of their best work when they, things just weren't right in their life or something was going on in the world. Um, because again, I'll take Marvin Gaye, what's going on? That's the first thing that really jumps out to me, um, you know, so that that's interesting that you, you actually thought about that, Sonny. Did, did you have any thoughts of like that, Neil, in terms of just the, the music and? What is it about and things of that nature?
3: Yeah, it felt kind of I don't know, especially like because we were at a stage of marketing our song and mm-hmm. it was like promotion. So it just felt all pointless, honestly, and like the whole Instagram culture of like, look at me, look how special I am. Like it really like started to get in my head, like what is the point of all of this? Um, but then I kind of like maybe Sunny, like started digging deeper and said, No, like you know, there is a message, there is a point, And I kind of bounced out of that. And yeah. And, and like you said, a lot of artists had to tap into some of those deepest, darkest moments. And I had to experience that myself, I think, to be inspired again. And now I do feel like really inspired. Excellent.
1: That's, that's what we like to hear. Cause that's, that's what living a rich life is about. We're going to inspire and, and, and motivate you and, and empower you to, to, to continue to move forward because, you do have fans out there that obviously, since uh, the you started putting your video out there more and that says your number's going up. So someone's definitely taken to the song. Um, someone's definitely taken to, to your music. So um, I, I'm a firm believer, whether it's 10 or, or 10,000 people, you're, you're impacting someone. Um, so let's, um, I, I implore you both to continue to do that because here at Big Exposed Radio, we uh, myself personally enjoy your music. Um, what, what advice would you give to anyone, um, that would try to get into the music industry? Um, you know, whether now or in the future, whatever that looks like, what advice would you give someone that's in the music industry, trying to get into the music industry?
0: Want me to go? (laughs) (laughs) Go for Um, it, Sunny. I think the biggest thing I learned is don't doubt yourself too much and just put out content. Because for a long time, I think, you know, Neil and I have talked about this as well. Um, We both are pretty, like, introspective person, people, and we are perfectionists. So I know for me, it's like I spent so long just putting out anything else after my 2015 EP. When I should have just, you know, I was writing and I had music, but I always felt like everything I put out had to be perfect. And really, people who succeed, they aren't people who are creating perfect content. They're people that are just putting out content and doing it consistently so that's what I would do if you want to get in the music industry just get started don't doubt yourself just do it put it out there
3: just do it one thing I would add is that like really tap into your why because it's so you know if it's to be famous or to you know be cool and all that like that can only take you so far and then like your talent you know work on your talent focus on the practice the hours and like that's what it really takes you can you know show off all you want on instagram um but it, you gotta have the chops or else you're not gonna you're, you people aren't really gonna attach to your actual music they might think you look good and cool but again that only goes so far
1: yeah sure. I, I i i agree i think uh not even so much I think, I know the uh, internet has been used and abused during this uh, time, a little more than normal. Um, But again, here Be Exposed Radio, you're gonna get authentic communication. Um, So again, thanks for joining here. So what is your ideal lineup of musicians and artists you like to headline with or open up for? Mm, Any artists that you can see that you know, Neil you like to work with and Sunny that you know you would like to headline for?
0: Um I really I really like her and Janae Aiko. I could okay. see myself like opening up for like any of them or you know headlining with them or collaborating with either okay. one of them because they it's, both got a DM thing happening too. They got
1: a nice yeah they got a nice little they got a nice little flow. Uh, yeah. Neil, who, Neil, who would you, uh, any, any artists, musicians you, you would like to work with outside of the, the lovely and talented Sonny Cowell?
3: I would say um, I would love to collaborate with The Weeknd. absolutely love his new album and just the vibe and, and the, the variability in all the different genres that he's kind of been a part of. Um, also Calvin Harris, I guess from the EDM world. Even though he's been kind of quiet as of late, You know, he's just got these classic, you know, cross-genre songs, like with Rihanna. You know, Rihanna would also be an amazing collaboration. I would kind of pick those three off the top of my head.
1: So, you know, my last, my my previous guest, we didn't get a chance, she mentioned the word legacy, which we often, we we often hear a lot in terms of of legacy. What would you like the world to know about the legacy in your music? you know, as, as things move forward, right? When you leave music behind or slow down, or take a step out of the music scene, what would you like the world to know about, about Neil Paul, Sonny Cow? I can flip um, a coin. <laughs> Sonny? I'll go,
0: it's okay. Um, I would like to leave a legacy um, where people just really emotionally connect to my music. Um, because I, even when, when I write songs, I try not to write songs that are just simple, that are just about like having a good time or just like being in love. I try to write about situations that are a little more nuanced than that. And because, you know, I found that that was kind of missing in the beginning when I was writing music. So I want to leave a legacy where people just think, oh, you know, Sunny, like she really gets me, you know, like I really connect to her emotionally, I connect to her music.
3: Neil yeah this is such a good question and a a difficult one Um, but I would say yeah like the emotional the like I want like my kind of north star for my music is like it's pretty it's melodic it's epic it's emotional it kind of takes you on a journey um and it kind of is kind of at a higher level than just basic things like like Sonny said like having a good time um that it kind of transcends. I think that would be a good good word, like transcendent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh, so tell us both, for, so this is for both of you again. So tell us where we can find you both, um, your, your your IG, your social media, all that good stuff so that others can follow and, and support what you're doing now. And of course, ladies first. So Sunny, can you, can you share us on how folks can follow and support you?
0: Sure, I'm really active on Instagram. Um, I'm at Sunny Cowell Music, and on Facebook, uh, my fan page is just Sunny Um, I'm also on Twitter, same Sunny Um, I think those are really the only. Oh, and my YouTube channel. Um, that's where the "You Belong Here" video is originally on my YouTube channel. So that's just Sunny cowl. So I'm easy to find. All right,
3: Neil, how can folks? Uh- find you um at instagram or instagram at neil paul music n-e-i-l-p-a-u-l music is where i'm most active and then i'd say dj neil paul on facebook and hopefully we'll be uh, a lot more active soon um i know sonny's been on me as well but i definitely have a lot of new music that i'm working on so i look forward to getting back in the game um of of, of the social media world but neil paul music
1: all right, good good deal. So there you have it, Sunny Cal and Neil Paul uh, sharing their their music um, information their social media. So be sure to, to tune in. Again, you can find um, the "You Belong Here" video on my link via Instagram, Living a Rich Life underscore. Um, so let's 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 take a step back, right? What is a song or movie that always makes you emotional, no matter how many times you've seen it? Or heard it, right? So let's have a little fun with this, right? A song or movie that always makes you emotional, no matter how many times you've seen it or heard it. And, you know, whether it's made you laugh, made you cry, I'll go first. So for me, it's coming to America. <laughs> Classic movie. No matter how many times I see it, I still crack up. So as a musicians and, and entertainment, as artists, tell us what's a song. Uh, Sunny, that it always makes you emotional, no matter how many times you see it or, or heard it.
0: Um, I, was, I can't think of a song, but in terms of a movie, because you mentioned okay. movie, um, The Notebook. <laughs> 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 I'm, I don't know what it is. Like I'm a hopeless romantic or something. Because every time I watch that movie, I'm just like bawling. But okay. there aren't even aren't really any songs that do
1: that no? to me. The Notebook. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna give you a movie. I'm gonna recommend a movie. Have you seen The Photographer?
0: No, I heard about one though.
1: Okay, so you want to check that out. Okay. Um, and and then there's another one that just recently, but it, it escapes me. So I'll be sure to get that to you. But you want to check out the photographer also. If
3: you like the notebook, you'll love the photographer.
0: Okay, I'll check it out. Thank That's you. That's your
1: assignment,
3: Neil. I'm gonna with go us. with the I'm gonna go with the movie theme too. I I really I, I watched this a lot growing up was Forrest Gump. Um, something about he would just keep reinventing himself and in spite of like all of, you know, he was, he had a really low IQ, but everything that he did, he did it with this openness and he found success in everything that he did because he just kind of went for it. And I think that's really inspiring in being able to, you know, reinvent yourself either as an artist or a business person. Um, So yeah, Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump.
1: Mm. Life is like a box of chocolate. Yep. I'm a movie buff. I'm a movie buff. I can quote any and every movie. Um, so I want to go back to, again, as we as we close out, um, what's your favorite um, thing about working together on this project, on the You Belong Here project? What was your favorite thing about working on that together? I think that's a good, good, good question. And by the way, before you get into that, once again, the video is now featured on BeExposedRadio.com um, so that you know. Also. Go, Mani. Yeah, he, I told you, he's, he's a, a magic worker. So, Thank you. um, what's your favorite song? Uh, what's your favorite thing about working together on this project? What was the favorite, favorite thing? You
3: wanna go, Neil? Sure. Um, I felt like we were just always on the same page for the most part. And if we weren't, it was very quickly, we were able to kind of, you know, come to some kind of compromise or consensus. Um, it just really flowed and we, we, you know, our visions were aligned. We were after the same thing in spite of being a very different kind of coming from different places um, in our careers and, and in the genres that we represented. So, yeah, it just was really smooth and easy.
0: Yeah, I would say the same thing. It was smooth and easy. And I think the great thing is that, you know, I made a new friend. So That's
1: <laughs> that was very
0: excellent. cool. Excellent.
1: Excellent. So, you know, normally, again, I ask the question of what does living a rich life, however, we're going to uh, improvise. um, And instead, uh, I want you to tell me um, who or what inspires you to to better yourself um, as we close out uh, living a rich life today. So, Neil, uh, we'll let you go first and then we'll allow Sunny. So who inspires you um, right now in terms of just to continue to better yourself and moving forward?
3: Yeah, I, I think the first thing I thought of was my late father. He passed away in 2015. And I always try to kind of think about would he be, would he approve of kind of the man I'm becoming? And so constantly inspired by him. Okay. And uh, may rest in peace. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: I'm sure he's watching you and I'm proud of you. Uh, Sonny. Yeah.
0: Well, actually, it's my father as well. Um, you know, he... He's in the music industry and he's a really long career. He's 79 years old now. And wow. he's been playing piano since he was three. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's taught me a lot. Um, and just watching his career, um, you know, it's just, it basically has taught me to just like stay in it for the long game, Absolutely. essentially. Like it may, it may take you some time to do everything you want to do and to become everything you want to become as a musician.
1: And I think that is a good way to uh, to close out this segment of living a rich life home edition, Um, a salute to to both of your dads. Um, They definitely raised two wonderful human beings, at least from my experience that I know, and no one could take that away from you and no one could take that away from me. So um, I thank you for joining. Um, It's been a wonderful experience. Again, I'm expecting a lot, and more to come from Sonny Cal and, and Neil Paul music. Like I can say that all together because that's just how it is. Um, so again, thank you both for joining the show. Um, I will be in contact once again. It was a pleasure. Uh, BeExposedRadio.com. Be sure to, to watch Sonny and Neil's video. Again, um, you can go to YouTube. You can go to my Instagram link. Um, it will be there. We want to make sure you tune in to BeExposedRadio.com every Wednesday, Living a Rich Life. BeExposedRadio.com will have the video um, available for you to, uh, to see. And um, we're expecting a lot of great things to come. And definitely thank you both for joining today. Thanks, Rich. All right. Good to see you, Sunny. Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, and congratulations, Sonny. I, I hear you're engaged.
0: Yes. I'm getting married in like two months. So, <laughs> oh, oh. well, yeah.
1: congratulations! <laughs> thank you. All right, thank you both for joining.
0: All right, bye. All right.
1: So there you have it. Another wonderful, exciting show here. Living a rich life. Again, I am your host, Rich James. Thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Until next week, beExposedRadio.com, the only station that will inspire and lift you and inform. Until next week. Thanks.